All right, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to be in beginning in verse 21 this morning. If you're using the Black Bibles, that can be found on page 823. Matthew 18, verse 21. Uh, Last week, if you recall, Jesus taught us that as followers of Christ, we are responsible for one another. If we see a brother or sister in Christ persisting in sin, we should lovingly confront them or lovingly pursue them and find out what's going on and, and, and call them to, to repentance and see how we can help with that. We need to reach out because they're actually in spiritual danger. But now as we come to verse 21 here in Matthew 18, the topic narrows to the issue of personally forgiving a brother who has sinned against you. So now the issue is not just, oh, well, they're, they're caught up in sin in general, but now we're dealing with kind of interpersonal sin against, against uh, us, against each other, right? And so our passage today is verses 21 through uh, verse 35. So we'll finish off Matthew 18 today. So I'd ask the congregation to stand once again for the reading of God's word, please. Please follow along now as I read Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we truly do thank you for your word. Lord, we know that you have spoken in words that we can understand by your spirit. And so, Spirit, we pray you will come and bring us understanding. Please open our eyes to see afresh 
the, the enormous sin debt that we've been forgiven in Christ and, and please then um, uh, enable us and motivate us to uh, obey Christ's commands now to, to forgive our brother who has sinned against us. We ask that you would do a mighty work now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Throughout Matthew 18, Jesus has been teaching disciples how they are to live together as the family of God. And if you think about that, disciples living together, one of the most important and needed elements for believers as they follow Christ together is forgiveness. As brothers and sisters together in the body of Christ, we will inevitably sin against each other. So in this passage, Jesus, in an answer to Peter's question, commands believers to forgive one another, and he drives that point home with a powerful parable. But like all the commands of the Christian life, this command to forgive is rooted in the gospel. And I want you to see that today. This command to forgive is rooted in the gospel. Our ability, our motivation, and even we'll see our pattern for forgiving our brother comes from how God has forgiven us in Christ. So the title of the sermon today is simply, Forgive as God in Christ forgave you. That probably sounds familiar, right? That's Ephesians 4.32. Forgive as God in Christ forgave you. So my plan today is I want to kind of quickly work through this parable just so we understand it. And then I want to consider with you the topic of forgiveness under three headings. So verses 21 and 22 record the occasion which sparked Jesus giving this parable. So let's look at those again. Verse 21, then Peter came up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And you may be aware that in, in Judaism, the, the, the rabbis taught a per, that a person should be forgiven for a repeated sin three times. That was kind of the, the, the standard. All right, you, for, you can forgive someone for the same sin three times, but man, if, if they uh, commit, commit that sin a fourth time against you, then there is no forgiveness. All right? So Peter here, when he comes up to Jesus and says, well, how many times should I forgive my brother? Should it be um, seven times? I, I think Peter felt like he was trying to kind of go above and beyond what was expected, right? He's, he's thinking, man, I'm doubling it and adding one. You know, surely Jesus seven times would be enough, right? But Jesus says, no, not, not seven times, but 77 times. And some translations even say 70 times seven. And so the, the point Jesus is making is you're not supposed to keep track, right? You're, you're, you're to forgive your brother an unlimited num number of times. As he comes to you for repentance, you forgive him. You don't keep track. And now then to... To, to show that, to illustrate this point, Jesus gives a parable, and that this parable is going to specifically teach us that because God has first forgiven us, we are enabled and expected to forgive others. So in verse 23, Jesus goes into the parable. 
He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was a it was actually a measure of weight, you know, so they would measure a precious metal like gold or silver by weight, right? And assuming this was silver, that's often what they used. In Jesus' day, a talent was, was worth, it was a monetary unit worth about 20 years worth of wages for a, a laborer. All right, so I mean, this is about half of a person's working lifetime, 20 years worth of of wages was one talent okay so multiply that by 10,000 10,000 talents is a huge amount if you want to know the weight of it it'd be like uh, 300 tons of again of silver let's say (laughs) so you know to put it in modern day this would be like billions and billions of dollars it's 200 thousand years worth of wages 200,000 years worth of wages so we're talking about an astronomical amount here that in this in this parable this servant owes his king owes his master a, a, a huge amount and look what he says verse 25 and since he could not pay right His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So, verse 26, the servant fell on his knees imploring him, the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now, what strikes you about that statement? (laughs) Is it very realistic? (laughs) 200,000 years worth of wages? How in the world is he going to pay that, right? I mean, you know, we're not talking about the owner of Amazon here or something, right? I mean, there's no way. the, The servant's being completely unrealistic. There's no way he's ever going to be able to pay off the master. But look what happens in verse 27. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Notice the master has pity for the servant. That's the word mercy or compassion. And if you've noticed in Matthew's gospel, that's the same word that has been used of Jesus. The same characteristic that Jesus has shown time and time again for people in sin. People who are unable to help themselves. Jesus has had pity on them. Jesus has had compassion on them. And that's what this, in this parable, that's, that's what the, past, the master is doing for his servant. Out of pity, he released him and forgave him the debt. Look at how generous he is. The servant was just saying, oh, can you give me some more time so I can pay off this debt? The, the master knows there's no way you're going to be able to pay off this debt. So look, I'm going to just release you from the debt. I'm going to forgive you of that huge, huge debt. So imagine, imagine if you were the servant. Imagine the relief that you would have felt. I mean, you know, you were just, you were desperate. You were just trying to buy time. You had no idea how you were going to pay this off. You were never going to be able to pay this off. But now he's just with the, with the, with the word, with the stroke of a, of a decree, let's say, he's, he's forgiven you all this debt. Can't you imagine how that servant felt? He must have felt so relieved, right? 
must have felt like this huge burden and, and must have had such a peace about him. I mean, he must have been on cloud nine. He must have been just kind of stro- humming and, and skipping through the meadows, right? Well, look at verse 28. But when that same servant, the one who's just been forgiven, this huge astronomical debt, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii was, was nothing to sneeze at. I mean, a, a, a denarii was a day's wages. So, I mean, this is like a hundred days worth of, of wages. So, this is about four months worth of wages. You know, so again, to put it in our modern day terms, I mean, this would be, you know, in the thousands of dollars, right? So, not insignificant, but pales in comparison to what he's just been forgiven right and if you're into math which is i guess this sermon has a lot of math in it right this was only one six hundred thousandth one six hundred thousandth of the debt that he's just been forgiven okay but look at what he does and seizing him, seizing the guy that owes him this hundred denarii, he begins to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So now this servant who owes the hundred denarii, verse 29, he fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Now what strikes you about that statement? Same words, right? I mean... You know, you think the, the first servant would kind of be getting deja vu here, right? Oh, yeah, wait a minute. Didn't I just say that to my king about this huge, huge, huge amount? But look at verse 30. He, the first servant, refused. The, the, the other servant saying, have patience with me and I'll, I'll pay you. But no, he refuses, verse 30, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, I'm sure you are having the same reaction that all of the disciples would have been having as Jesus is giving, is telling this to them. That's not right. That, That first servant is not right. And that's in the parable. Others have that same reaction. Look at verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went out and reported to their master all that had taken place. So now other, other guys see what has just happened, and they go and tell the king. Verse 32, then his master, the king, summoned him, the first servant, and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And you see the footnote there. The Greek word is actually torturers. I'm not sure why they translate this way. I think... They just don't have the stomach to translate it, the word that it actually is. He's delivered over to the torturers. So it's like it, it's, it's, he's in even a worse shape than before, right? Instead of being sold, now he's to be tortured until he should pay all his debt. 
what have we already said? There's no way he's going to be able to pay that debt. So his torment is going to continue on and on and on. And then verse 35, Jesus kind of gives the, the, the moral, the, the, the take-home application. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So Jesus drives home the application of the parable with an ominous warning, which we're going to consider later under our third heading. But first, just to get our bearings, I trust you see that um, from verse 35, that the, the master, the king, represents who? God, right? And as Christians, we, like the first servant, have been forgiven a massive amount by God, which that actually leads me into the first of my three headings today. We want to consider this topic of forgiveness. Heading number one is forgiveness received. Forgiveness received. And again, sin, just, just like Jesus did, uh, he's already done this once in gospel, the Gospel of Matthew, just like he did back in Matthew 6 when he was teaching us the Lord's Prayer. Our sin is described as debt. And so we, we realize that the Bible teaches that by nature we have all racked up a sin debt before God. Right? By nature, we are all indebted to God because of our sin. God is our creator, and as his creatures, we owe him our love, we owe him our worship, we owe him our obedience. God commands us to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind. He commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, but we, we fall short of that. We, we fall very short of that. We all sin. We all sin against our, our creator, God. We don't give him the worship that he deserves. We don't obey him like he deserves. We're not, we don't give him the holiness that he deserves. Instead, what do we do? We worship and serve ourselves. Instead, we actually turn our back on God. We, we forsake his commands. And instead, we indulge in our sinful passions. We, we fail to thank him, we fail to, to worship him, and we seek to live for ourselves. That's what we all do by nature. We scorn his goodness, and we love our sin more than we love God. And the point I want to drive home today is our sin has left us in debt to God by nature. Apart from Christ, we are in debt to God, and it is an enormous debt right I mean that's that's what the parable is teaching it's an enormous debt it's billions of dollars and in fact um, I've, I learned this this week 10,000 right remember Jesus said he owed him 10,000 talents well guess what 10,000 is the largest numeral for which a Greek term exists and then the talent was the largest known amount of money so it's like Jesus was taking the 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 largest terms you could use, combining them, and, and in effect, it's like, you know, he was saying, 
He owed him zillions and zillions of dollars. The point is, I mean, you know, it's kind of fun to do all the math and all that, but I think the point Jesus is making is it's incalculable. It's beyond calculation how much he owed the master. So I regret I made my little crack about Amazon that wasn't in my notes. I don't know why I said that, because no matter how rich you are, you couldn't have paid off this debt. Because remember, this is the debt of our sin. We owe God absolute holiness. We owe God sinless devotion. But we fall very short of his standard. Picture every time that you fail to do what God commands. Or every time you do something that God has told you not to do. You're at racking up more debt. More debt. More debt. Every sinful thought. Every sinful word. Every sinful motive. Every sinful act action pushing you further and further into debt again by nature we have racked up an enormous sin debt against God and it's a debt that we could not hope to repay there's no way we could pay off that debt on our own there's no way we could pay off that debt uh, with our own efforts and that's what the world tries to do some people get convicted of, of sin. They, they, they do, in a sense, fear that there's a God. And they know that they, they fall short. They know that they're not right with God. So what do they do? They try, to, they try to earn his favor, right? They try to get religious. They try to devote themselves to good works. They even try to, you know, kind of punish themselves or something to try to appease him, to try to pay off that debt. And what Jesus is driving home is none of us can pay off our debt, no matter what we do. Just like that first servant, we have no hope of paying off our sin debt on our own. We are completely bankrupt. God is infinitely valuable. And so to sin against him deserves the, the harshest of, of, of penalties. To have a debt against him puts you in grave, grave danger. The Bible says the penalty for our sin debt against our holy and righteous creator is death and eternal punishment in hell. So again, let, let us understand the situation we're all in apart from Christ. We have this enormous sin debt that we could never hope to pay off. That there's nothing we can do to, to, to cancel it out. And, then, and the penalty, the, the result of that debt is that we deserve eternal separation from God. In a place of torment. And that there is the, the dreadful dilemma facing sinners. That's the dreadful dilemma facing everyone apart from Christ. We're just like that first servant saying, Oh, I owe all this, but... Oh. And there's nothing we can do. But just like the master in the parable, God had pity on us. Right? This heading is called forgiveness received. 
God had pity on us. He knew that we were unable to help ourselves. So in his great mercy, he sent his son to pay for our sins on the cross. We'll come back to Matthew 18, but hold your place there and turn ahead to Colossians chapter 2. I wanted to show you another passage where our sin is described as as debt. Colossians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 13. It's page 984 if you're using the Black Bibles. Colossians 2.13. There God's word reads, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You see, in this passage, Paul is explaining to Christians that God, in uniting us to Christ through the new birth, has forgiven us all of our trespasses, right? Another word for sins. God has forgiven us of all of our sins through our union with Christ. Verse 14 says, God has canceled that record of our sin debt that stood against us. And when you dig into that passage, you realize the word cancel there means to to wipe away, to erase, to remove. He's removed our sin debt. The record of our sin debt has been erased. It's been wiped clean. So that we will never, it'll never be brought up to us again. Keep looking at verse 14. It says that God the Father has taken our our record of debt. He's canceled it, right? He's wiped it clean and he's set it aside. That means he's he's lifted it up. He's taken this debt away and, and he's removed it from us. In that passage, in that passage, that that the verb there um, to set aside, it's in the perfect tense, which means this is a settled condition. He's removed it from us once and for all. That's what it means to be forgiven. For Christians, our record of sin debt has been removed, wiped clean from our account. Praise God. Now, how did God do this? Right? God is a holy God. He can't just say, oh, well, we'll just forget about that, right? You know? I mean, these are sins against Him. They're sins that need to be punished. Someone must pay that debt. Well, again, Colossians explains how He did it, right? He says He took that sin debt and nailed it to the cross. Well, who was on the cross? Jesus. Right, And so Christ took our debt upon himself and he paid for it by dying in the cross in our place. And, and the, 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 the Colossians there, those in the first century Roman world, they would have gotten the picture there clearly because, of course, the Romans crucified criminals, right? And, and what they would often do is they would nail the, the record of debt, they would nail the crimes Right there on the cross, you know, it's kind of like, this is why this person's being crucified. This is what they're paying for, right? And and so here, Jesus took our debt upon himself. It was nailed to the cross. He was suffering for us. 
He was paying the penalty for that debt. And because he did that, God then wipes that debt from our record. He wipes it completely clean. He removes it. It's never to bring it up again. In forgiving our sins, God promises that he will no longer hold our sins against us. We are free from our sin debt before God. You know, in the Bible, God God says, I will remember their sins no more. That's what it means. I'm never going to, he's committing himself, he's promising, I'm never going to hold those sins against you. Because Christ has paid for those sins. Christ has taken that debt. He has canceled your guilt. He has borne your judgment that you deserved. And so God says, I will remember those sins no more. I will not bring them up again to condemn you. That's why Paul could could rejoice in Romans 8.1 and say, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ, all our sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for in full. The debt is gone. Again, it's a commitment from God. It's, it's, a, it's a promise. It's actually a legal transaction, right? If You know, uh, the gospel uh, is explained in those terms, those judicial legal terms. In Romans, it teaches if we put our faith and trust in Christ, then what does God do? He justifies us. He declares us to be righteous. He makes this legal declaration that we are no longer condemned, that our sin has been paid for, the debt is, is, is erased. We're forgiven. And we, what does that mean then? Well, again, it means we won't face eternal torment that we deserve. And it means that we're reconciled to God. Right? God's forgiveness leads to reconciliation. Now we have peace with God, Paul says. Now we're adopted into his family. Now we can enjoy this loving relationship with him, even now and forever with him in glory. And so, you know, I was trying to help us place ourselves in that parable, right? And thinking about how did that servant feel when he first went away and knew that his debt had been forgiven, right? And that's the peace that we can have in Christ, of knowing that our sins have been paid for, that we'll never uh, face God's condemnation for those sins, to know that we're reconciled to God, To know that Christ has purchased the full forgiveness of our sins through our union with him by faith. That's that's amazing peace. That's peace that you can't put a price tag on, isn't it? And under this first heading of forgiveness received, before we move on, I've got to ask, do every one of you know that peace? Do you know that peace of having your sins forgiven? Do you know that peace of knowing that your debt 
has been paid in full, that you are no longer bearing that debt before your, your holy creator. If you don't know that peace, then I, I would urge you to call out for mercy and call out in faith in Christ. Again, God is, is merciful and he has sent his son to, to die in the place of sinners so that everyone who trusts in Jesus, everyone who forsakes their sin, recognizes their bankruptcy, recognizes that they have sinned against God and that they need forgiveness and then trusts in Christ for that forgiveness. The Bible says everyone who does that will be forgiven. They are united with Christ and their debt is erased. And so I urge you to do that today if you haven't already. To call out to to God for forgiveness. And place your trust in Christ to embrace him as Lord and Savior by faith. In Christ we have received forgiveness of our sin debt. That's the first heading. The next two will go quicker. We've considered forgiveness received. Now the second heading is forgiveness commanded. I mean, that's clear from this parable, isn't it? God expects believers to forgive others in the way he forgives them. I mean, Jesus has already said this. Again, I direct you back to to the the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 12, where we're told to pray and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then the the epistles make it even more explicit. Ephesians 4, 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So the, the Bible is very clear. In light of God's gracious, right? it was a, an act of his love and grace that he forgave our debt. In light of God's gracious forgiveness of us, we are then commanded to forgive others. But then what does that look like? Right? I mean, what does it mean to forgive someone? Well, again, not only does the gospel enable us to do this, because in Christ we're given a new heart, we're given the Holy Spirit, we're set free from bondage to sin, and so we're enabled to forgive. So the gospel not only enables us to forgive, but it also provides the pattern for what it means to forgive, right? That's what it keeps saying. Uh, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So we're commanded to forgive others the way God has forgiven us. And so let's consider that for a moment. And as we do, I want to um, pass on a book to you. Then These next points... Um, I took from this book, Unpacking Forgiveness, by Chris Bronze. Um, the subtitle says, Biblical Answers for Complex Questions and Deep Wounds. Right? We know forgiveness is, it is, a, it is a complex issue. Right? Sin makes things messy. And he does a really good job of um, <laughs> unpacking that. Right? Unpacking forgiveness. That's what 
what's called, and that's a metaphor that he uses as well. But in there, he points out that as we're considering what it means to forgive, we look at God's forgiveness, and we see God's forgiveness is gracious, right? He graciously does it for us and, and forgives us freely, right? It's by grace that we're saved, but that forgiveness is costly. Think about God's forgiveness. It's free to us. But it was costly to whom? To Christ, right? It was costly to God. The Father, Son, and Spirit. It was costly. God gave up his own son to purchase our forgiveness. And so as we're then trying to to follow Christ's commands, we've got to realize, hey, to forgive will be costly to us as we forgive others. Right? Sin is, is ugly. And as sinners, we hurt each other. We wound each other. And those wounds can be deep sometimes. And again, you look at the parable, you know, the servant was forgiven, again, billions and zillions of dollars, right? Uh, the second servant who owed the first servant, what was it, 100 denarii? Remember, that was several thousands of dollars. I mean, that's not... Chump change, right? I mean, that's a significant amount. So the point is not that, oh, well, that's no big deal. That You know, it doesn't hurt. No, I'm, w- wounds and sin can hurt. So it will be costly to forgive. But again, we keep things in perspective and we say, no matter how hurtful this is to me, it will always pale in comparison to how much God has forgiven me. In other words, no matter how, how costly it is to forgive this person, it's going to pale in comparison to what it cost the Lord. So God's forgiveness is gracious, but it's costly. God's forgiveness is a commitment. It's a promise. We have brochures back there in the counseling track uh, from peacemaker ministries ken sandy and he on that brochure and in his his um, teachings he provides four promises of forgiveness what does it mean when we forgive someone right this isn't uh, we bury the hatchet but leave the handle sticking out right no promise number one is i will not dwell on this incident right we can't forgive and forget but if if you know, we can't erase our memories, but we're saying, I'm not going to dwell on it. If it comes to my mind, I'm going to remember that it's been forgiven. I'm not going to dwell on this incident. Promise number two, I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. I, I, it's, again, that's what, you know, that, that metaphor, bury the hatchet but leave the handle sticking out so you can grab it and use it against the person whenever. That's not forgiveness. If you forgive someone of something, you don't bring that back up against them ever. Promise number three, I will not talk to others about this incident. I'm not going to be gossiping, trying to make you look bad. Promise number four, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. 
Again, think about God's forgiveness of us. He doesn't keep us at arm's length, right? He forgives us and he reconciles us to him. He adopts us into his family. And so to forgive someone doesn't mean we say, okay, fine, I'll forgive them. But <laughs> I'm, you know, I'll say the words, but I'm not going to actually interact with them. I'm not going to love them. I'm not going to care for them. No, that's not forgiveness because forgiveness is linked to reconciliation. Forgiveness is to lead to a restored relationship. Notice Jesus said in the parable, uh, at the very, well, at the conclusion of the parable, let's turn back there. We're done in Colossians 2 for now. So uh, Matthew 18, verse 35, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, So Jesus is not talking about lip service here. He's not talking about just kind of, no, this is true forgiveness. And it's to lead to a restored relationship. Now, that is a process. Forgiveness, depending on what it is, that can be a process. And the book gets into that. Um, We deal with that in biblical counseling as well. How forgiveness is a choice, but then it's also a process that you go through in, in restoring that relationship. So, you know, each case has to be handled um, uniquely. But let me give you a couple of caveats here as we talk about forgiveness. Again, forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let me ask you a question. Is God's forgiveness conditional? Is God's forgiveness conditional? The biblical answer is yes. God's forgiveness is conditional. Who is forgiven? Those who repent and believe in Christ are forgiven of their sins. Christian forgiveness is a commitment. It's a promise, like like we've said, to those who repent. Write this down. I won't take the time to turn there, but Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. Again, this is Jesus teaching us. He says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. That was 17.3 of Luke. Verse 4, and if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So clearly Jesus is teaching us that our forgiveness is conditional on the the person repenting, on the person Turn, you know, repent means to turn, to, to have a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. To, for them to, to say, you know what, I have sinned against you. I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you please forgive me? And if, if a brother does that to us, or if, really if anybody does that to us, we forgive them. So hold that thought. We're we're kind of going to come back to that under the third heading. One more caveat. Forgiveness does not mean the elimination of all consequences. 
Forgiveness does not mean the elimination of all consequences. Again, when we forgive someone, we're, we're making those promises. I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm not going to hold this against you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let, I'm, I'm gonna not let this stand in the way of our relationship. I'm going to be working toward reconciliation. But when God forgives us, he, he promises to never condemn us for our sins. But it doesn't mean he removes all the natural consequences of our sin. Right? I mean, the, the perfect example of that is, is David and Bathsheba, right? God forgave David. For one, he didn't make him be uh, killed under the Old Testament law. We know he forgave him eternally. But there were still lots of consequences for that sin, right? Because it, 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 sin it hurts people. Sin is destructive and it leads to all kinds of, of messes that have to be cleaned up. And so there are natural consequences. Again, this is talking about the, what does it look like to reconcile in the process of all that. There, there may be some consequences. There may be some, some uh, trust that needs to be um, reestablished. There may be some, some parameters that need to be put in place. So that's just a caveat to understand that. So again, a quote from Chris Bronze here. He defines forgiveness for Christians this way, basing it on what we see how God forgives us in Christ. He says, for Christians, it's a commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person, although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated. So we forgive those who repent we forgive the repentant well what do we do if people aren't repentant right and I know this sermon is going to be getting long so we won't turn there but I would just encourage you to read Romans chapter 12 on your own the second half of Romans chapter 12 because that really speaks to this issue and and from that passage again Chris Bronze in his book gives three principles, and I'll just give them to you, you can jot them down. What do we do to someone who is not repentant, who they've sinned against us, we've, we've brought it up to them, we've, we've confronted with them and lovingly, and, and again, taking the log out of our own eye and, and humbly recognizing we're sinners too, we've done all that by, the, by God's grace, but they're not repentant. What do we do? Well, number one, we resolve not to take revenge. Romans 12 makes that very clear. Do not avenge yourselves. Number two, we proactively show love. Right? We're to love our enemies. And Romans 12 talks about if your enemy is hungry, you feed them and you give them a cup of cold water. We continue to try to show love. But we can't, and this is his third principle, we don't forgive the unrepentant, but we leave room for the wrath of God. Again, we... We're still urging them to repent so that we can forgive. And this is where the world gets it wrong, and I think even Christians get it wrong sometimes, is they, they you know, like some, some tragedy will happen. Romans 12 talks about leaving room for God's wrath, leaving room for justice to be done. Some tragedy will happen and the first thing you hear is, well, we should just forgive, right? And it's like, well, wait a minute. What about 
the consequences? What about justice for the victim? What about, right? So we're not to be overcome with hatred, but we are to proactively show love, and, but we are to warn them, hey, you need to repent. We're to warn the world about the, the coming wrath of God. God takes sin seriously. God takes sin against his people seriously. Someone will pay for that sin. Every sin will be judged, either by Christ on the cross, who will have borne that sin, or the person will bear it for eternity. And that's why, again, that's the nuance of his unpacking forgiveness. He says, he, he's, he's using the metaphor of saying forgiveness is a gift. He says, Christians are to forgive others as God forgave them. Graciously, willingly, and freely, they should offer a costly present, right? This cost me something because I was wounded, but I'm giving you this gift of forgiveness. I'm offering it to you. And if you repent and unwrap that present, you're going to find forgiveness and reconciliation inside. And so we're offering that gift to someone, but unless they repent... That they'll never get to the forgiveness and the reconciliation, the restored relationship, okay? Again, I know these are complicated matters, so if you have questions about that, please come see me. Please talk to the elders or talk to Leanne Whitaker. As, you know, we'd love to help you walk through some of those situations. Third heading. I don't know if number two is any quicker than number one or not. I said it would be. Maybe it turned out not to be. I'm sorry. Number three. Again, we can't leave this parable without, without feeling the warning that Jesus gives. So I call the third heading, forgiveness denied. Forgiveness denied. We've considered forgiveness received, forgiveness commanded. But then at the end, the parable, we see forgiveness denied. Back to the warning. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What We will not be forgiven if we are not forgiving people. Jesus' point is those unwilling or unable to forgive should fear for their salvation. Jesus has taught this before. Again, in the, right in the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is not teaching in these, any of these passages, including Matthew 18, that we must forgive others in order to be saved. Like somehow we can buy our salvation, right? Oh, I got to forgive. I got to forgive so I can purchase my own salvation. No, he's not saying that. God takes the initiative. But what he is saying is if we have been forgiven, then we will be forgiving people. If we have been forgiven, that means, again, back to Colossians 2, we've been united with Christ we who were dead in our sins have been given new life. We've been made alive. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been given a new heart. Uh, uh, our eyes have been opened to see the great debt that we've been forgiven. We, by, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit, even though it's costly, when this person repents, I can forgive. Because I know how much I've been forgiven. 
But if a person is, is just unwilling to forgive, or even if they're just unable, there's nothing in them that, they, that can, can generate that forgiveness, then that's pointing to the fact they haven't been saved. They don't have a new heart. They don't have the Holy Spirit. So the Bible is clear that a forgiven person must be a forgiving person. I hope that you take that away from this parable. I hope that the Lord will bring to your mind, remember how much God has forgiven you. There's more I could say on that, but I, I know I need to quit, so... I'll just conclude this way. God's forgiveness frees me to forgive others. Think about who are we as the body of Christ? What are we called to to do? What are we called to be? Even in that phrase, the body of Christ, what does that mean? Well, we are to display Christ to to each other and to to the lost and unsaved world, right? We're to be a display of God's glory. And I've heard preachers say, You're never more like God than when you forgive. And if you look at Ephesians 4.32 that I've quoted a couple of times, right? Forgive as God in Christ forgave you. Guess what the very next verse is? It's a new chapter, but it's the, you know, in Paul's letter, it's the very next sentence. Be imitators of God then as dearly loved children and walk in love. And he points this again to Christ as Christ gave himself up as an obedient sacrifice. What an opportunity we have to display God, to display Christ, to display something of the grace of God, something of the the love of Christ to this watching world if we will forgive each other. May, May God help us to be a forgiving people that we can bring glory to him and that we can enjoy the peace that he has wrought through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help in these matters, Lord. Please, we praise you for your forgiveness. We praise you that you are, there's no one like you, Lord, who would forgive such an enormous debt against you at great cost to yourself. Oh, thank you. Please keep us ever mindful of how much we have been forgiven. And then by your spirit, will you help us Will you bear in us the the fruit of, of love and patience and work, may your life work through us that we can forgive those who, who sin and repent to us just as you have done for each of us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand please and we'll conclude with a, a song.